2: Alright everybody, it's Thursday, December 15th, 2022, and it is indeed a heck of a morning live on the MMA Fighting Twitter Spaces. You can hear the show in its entirety shortly after the live show on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. Hope everyone's having a great week. I am Mike Hack. We are two days away from the final UFC events of 2022, which is kind of crazy to think about it. There are certain times throughout the year where it feels like the year just started. And then there are certain times throughout the year where it's like, man, I feel like this year has taken five years. It's just one of those crazy years, but it has been a year full of stories, a year full of big fights, a year full of chaos, some controversy mixed in. A little bit of everything for 2022, most notably for the UFC. And I got to say, this card on Saturday is pretty damn solid. Main event Jared Kennedy versus Sean Strickland. My main event is actually the co main event Armand Sarukian versus Demir Izbagulov. We get the return of Amir Albazi. Get a fun one between Bruce Leroy, Alex Caceres, and Julian Arosa. Drew Dober, Bobby Green is on this card. Cody Brundage, Mikhail Oleg Zaychuk. We get the return of Cheyenne Velismas versus Corey McKenna. A couple of up-and-coming strawweights. Jake Matthews is back, someone who I'm very high on after his win over Andre Fialio at UFC 275, taking on Matthew Semmelsberger. Let's see if Duran wins. Can get a much needed victory against Julian Marquez. We get the Battle of the Saeeds. Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Saeed Yukub HaKromanov. We got Mahashata versus Rafa Garcia. Renat Fakratinov versus Brian Battle. We get Manel Kopp back in there against David Dvorak. Sergei Morozov versus Jordi Newsom. It's a very solid card. It's a very solid fight night card. There have been far worse in 2022 than this one 14 fights earlier start time starts at 4 p.m. Eastern the prelims main card at seven a lot to like on this final card and you may have seen in the description we're doing a free-for-all Thursday and the reason is there won't be a show tomorrow I'm not really sure how this is going to work over the next couple weeks but my vacation my holiday travel because there's gonna be so much friggin travel over the next couple of weeks uh, begins tomorrow. So tomorrow's a day of just getting everything ready. I might actually play a little golf while my kid's at school. And then uh, we are off to Boston at like 7.30 tomorrow night to freeze our asses off for the next five or six days. My plan is to probably do a show next Thursday. Just kind of check in and react to... Whatever's going on in the wonderful world of MMA, we're going to do like our award stuff. So We'll have an award show, so I'll do a bunch of stuff for that. But for the most part, I'm going to be unplugged from the sport of mixed martial arts. Uh, But I'm going to try to check in maybe once a week during the the break. But no show Friday, so we're going to do the free-for-all Friday stuff today. So it's free-for-all Thursday. We will have BTL today. We're just going to do what we did last week. Me and Jed, live, bouncing back and forth off each other. That goes out at 1 p.m. Eastern. And then all the stuff that we typically do for fight weekends, all happening tomorrow with the preview show, all of that. Uh, I'm not sure who will be hosting that. Pre-fight, people's pre-fight show Saturday, post-fight show Saturday night. Uh, AK will have on to the next one on Sunday with somebody else as a co-host. Not sure who that's going to be, but uh, my VK starts tomorrow but i'm gonna to try to get a show in for you guys next week but with that being said let's get off to this and turn it over to you guys for as long as we do this so zach we'll begin with you and then we'll tag in tristan gordette zach hello hey
3: mike how you doing bit a minute uh hit Go. him hit him straight tomorrow then if you play on the golf course um Two questions for you. Uh, first one would be a lot of issues with the judging and the Sabatella or the, the one judge in the Sabatella Stotts fight, the 50-45, but I'm not really concerned about that. I'm more No one's really been talking about it, but do you think that, let's say it was 48-47 Sabatella he gave the scorecard. Is that a fair scorecard or was it a clear Stotts win? i just seen more about that one scorecard than if it actually was a close fight because the other two were 48-47, so I didn't know if it can go – if you believed you thought they can go both ways. The other one that's interesting is um after this fight card, you know, we had some in the over the last couple of weeks you had some middleweights come up, you guys like DDP, Roman Delice, you know, you have Muniz and Emanov. Kind of similar to what we have with the lightweight division right now where, you know, you got Surukyan and Ismagulov fighting, do you think there'll be, which fighters out of those group of up-and-coming middleweights? do you think will get that push by the promotion to, you know, fight some of the bigger names like Vittori or maybe a loser of this main event coming up? Or in which ones do you think might have to fight each other like a Ismagulov and Surukyan or a, you know, Surukyan, Gamron type? Uh, Thanks, Mike, and uh, have a good vacation.
2: Thanks, man. So the first part, if, you, if Crosby or anybody else scored that fight 48-47 for Sabatello, I would not have had a huge issue with that. It was a, it was a really close fight. I thought Stotts did a little more in the damage department, but it's kind of hard to define because there were certain rounds that were scored for Stotts that you could have scored for Sabatello, in my opinion. Watching it live, and I have gone back and re-watched it. Watching it live, I scored it 48-47 for Sabatello. I thought Sabatello won the first two rounds. Stotts won the third. S- Sabs won the fourth, and I think Stotts won the fifth. That's how I scored a live, but I've rewatched it. And since then, I've changed my mind to 48-47. I gave Stots around two, uh, but the rest I scored the same. The problem is the 50-45. And even if you scored a 50-45 for Stotts, that would have been a, a pretty awful scorecard. That's a 48-47 fight a 48 47 fight it's three rounds to two you want to give it to sabs cool if you want to give it to Stotts, i think Stotts is probably the rightful winner but yeah i i if crosby scored at 48 47 for sabatello i don't think we'd be talking about it at all honestly but the 50 45 to me is probably the worst scorecard issued by any judge in 2022 one of the worst i've ever seen it's just horrendous and there's no excuse for it. There is no... Re- there, y- y- it is inarguable. You can't argue. Like, it's just inexplicable. It's egregious. It's a fucking horrible scorecard. I'm sorry. It's a terrible scorecard. Uh, so I think that's where the big issue comes. I think if you scored a 49-46, Sabatella, I think we'd be having a conversation. But 50-45 is just outrageous. It's friggin' terrible. As far as the middleweight division goes... I think DDP will probably get the opportunity first because I think the Till fight, I I think beating Darren Till still means something. Uh, A lot of people know who he is, casuals and hardcores. So I think he'll probably be the guy that gets the step up before any of the others that you mentioned. I know Dalize has been on a tear. I'd like to see Dalize in Vittoria, but I just don't think that fight's going to happen. So I think DDP will probably have the best shot. Plus, DDP is a super exciting fighter. And I think a lot of people got to see that for the first time. People who didn't know who DDP was tuned in to watch him fight a guy like Darren Till. And they are like, oh, man, this guy's fun. And there are no boring trickiest duplicy fights. So I think it's going to be him. I could see a world where they're probably I- – I think – The only – the the reason why we're getting Sarukyan is Magulov is because no one wants to fight Sarukyan. No one wants to fight him. I still think he beat Matush Gamrod and no one wants to fight this dude. (laughs) And I get it. The risk-reward is just not there. And I feel like the biggest – and it's not the same because I – I'm high on this guy that I'm about to mention, but not as high on this guy as I am on Sarukian. Like, I think Andre Muniz's road to a title fight is going to be a long one because I just don't think there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be like, all right, I'll fight him. It's just going to be, it's going to be tough for him. It's going to be a tougher road. So, yeah, I think we might see a world where a muniz a fight happens sooner rather than later. Uh, But I think if we're talking about guys fighting like the Paul Costas of the world and even the Vittori's of the world. It's probably Drickus Duplessy. I think he's got the, the edge, but middleweight's getting, getting fun. It's getting fun.
4: Tristan. Hello. Hi, Mike. Can you hear me?
2: Yep. What's up, buddy?
4: Mike, um, speaking about, um, uh, Armin Sarukian versus, uh, Demir Ismagulov. Um, is there, is there a high concern for you um, with Armin with this fight here? I mean, I remember I was listening to Luke Thomas and, you know, he felt that like people are unestima- underestimating Demiris Vogulov of how good he's been, how skillful he's been. And, you know, this guy is really, really good and no one's really talking about him him making a run or contending for the lightweight title. So, I I'm just I'm just saying because if um, if Arman loses this fight, it's gonna set him back. So you know, I'm, again, I'm not saying that Arman Serikin can't beat Demir. I'm just saying the level of concern here if Arman Serikin loses to Demir Uzmogulov in this fight right here, which could set him back tremendously. I mean, I just feel like Sarukin, it's a lot. It's a lot of pressure here for Arman Serikin you know, that. He's got to win this fight to continue his uh, run for title contendership. You know. So, what's your level of concern if Armin loses his fight against Amir? Thanks, Mike. Um,
2: level of concern, not a ton, because to me, if he loses this fight, it's going to be it's going to be another like controversial splitty. Because, I like, honestly, I went back and watched Demir's last fight with Guram Kutatilate, and I thought Guram won that fight. I thought Guram won that fight. So, I, like, and maybe it's just because I'm so high on Sarukian. I think Sarukian's going to, I don't think he's going to run his Magulov over, but I feel pretty confident that he's going to win this fight running away might even finish Ismogulov. I just think Ismagulov does a lot of things very good, but he's not excellent at really anything. And Sarukian's excellent at a lot of stuff. Almost everything. I think he can I, I think he could strike with Ismagulov. I think he could outgrapple know, him. I think his finishing ability is much better. I think he's a far better athlete. I actually I, I think this is gonna be the coming out party. Honestly, I, I think people look at this fight like it's like it's a really close fight, and I get it. Because Demir's Magulov is really, really good. And I would pick Demir against a lot of these up-and-coming lightweights, but this is just a different guy. To me, Sarukion is at worst the eighth best lightweight in the world. Because I still think he won that gamma fight. I, I think I just think Sarukion just has all the tools to win this fight. And the things that Guram Kutatilatse was able to do against Zizbogulov, Sarukyan could do that 10 times better and 10 times more effectively. So if Zizbogulov goes out there in 30-27s, Sirukian, then I'm going to be a little bit more concerned. But this is not a five-round fight. This is three-round, Sarukyan, and that's just a different animal. So I don't have a lot of concern here. But again, if Zizbogulov if just goes out there and, just stunts on him, then we're having a different conversation. But if Sarukian goes out there and loses another controversial split decision, yeah, it sets him back for sure. But again, he's only 26. He's got a long way to go. He hasn't even reached his full potential yet, which is super scary. It should be super scary for anybody else in this division right now. But yeah, outside of him just getting styled on, I don't have a ton of concern. If he loses a close split decision, it's all right. Like it'll set him back. His current title hopes fade off for now, but this dude's got another seven or eight years to go. And he's only gonna get better. But I think he learned. I, I think the Gamroth fight, no matter how you scored it, no matter how it was scored on Fight Night, that fight is gonna do so much for Amran Sarukian in the future. And I don't think I don't I honestly don't think this fight's gonna be I think there's gonna be times of competitiveness but I honestly think Shurukyan is going to win this fight pretty convincingly when it's all over we're going to be like damn Shurukyan's the real
0: the NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down
1: and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
2: Let's go to Viking MMA, and then we'll go to Cringe Judo, and then we'll go to Tok, and then we'll go to Crypto. Viking, hello. Viking. Hey, buddy.
5: It's your boy's fight race, so you should be happy jumping on your seats. Yes, sir. Yeah. Mm. So Ariel made a statement in MMA hour that if a judge has, to, uh, has a fight to judge on his schedule, then that judge should be fresh-minded and not tired, where... Mm-hmm. Uh, Douglas Crosby was uh, catching flights, traveling mm-hmm. one place to another, right? And and then Big John McCarthy made some comments on that that the judge can do and uh, judge can do such things, and you know there is no need. I mean there is no need, you know, to force him not to go on the multiple locations to judge a fight. And and John McCarthy
2: uh, Hello? Yeah, I hear you.
5: And then he said that, you know, the uh, uh, Douglas Crosby gave that scorecard to Paddy just because you know he wanted to make UFC happy because uh, sometimes fighters and promotions are helping judges and referees to get sponsorships and other sorts of money-earning things. So, how these two statements are relevant? And I think both Ariel and big John are telling the truth. Thank you.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, look, I I have no proof to back this up, but wouldn't surprise me if that's Doug Crosby and his relationship with Dana White and how he feels about Dana White. It's pretty public. Uh, He loves Dana White. So I, I get it. Like if, There are judges who can do this and do it fine, and I have no issue with that. My issue is when this guy drops a 50-45 scorecard for Danny Sabatello against Rafion Stotts, and then the Nevada Athletic Commission is certainly aware of this scorecard because everybody's freaking talking about it, and they're just like, yeah, come to Las Vegas and judge one of our fights. Like, you can't do that. These commissions need to come together and be like, all right, this guy had one of the worst scorecards I've ever seen. We can't allow him to go across the country to judge this fight. Like, all these commissions need to come together. Like, tell him to stay the fuck home. You're messing with people's livelihood. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, oh, how can we fix judging and, and, and all of this, like, and... Pulling Crosby all together, I don't know if that's the answer. I would love to see that happen. I think there's enough evidence where his scorecards just suck, uh, mostly across the board. But at the same token, like I know some people are saying, well, it should be former fighters that do it. It should be longtime martial artists. It should be pros who are judges. And yeah, I mean, cool if you want to do that. But Anthony Smith's been saying what I've been saying for a long time. The issue with that is... Maybe a certain fighter favors a certain style. Maybe a certain fighter has trained with one of the fighters in the fight. Maybe he's friends with the judge or something like that. And that creates a whole new thing. So my whole my whole fix of this, so this ain't a fix, but this is something. But I've been saying this for a long time. Nobody wants to be a judge. Why would you want to be a judge? I would go through like the class just to learn stuff. But if you think I'm going to spend my time for to make 75 cents to judge an MMA fight, F that noise. Like, this has to be... This has to be, like, a, a, a full-time job where you don't just work on Saturdays. You work during the week to help with commission stuff or you're just constantly learning and growing and you're going and watching different fights and you're you're, you're doing different things, like... This has to be worthwhile. There's no way these judges are making anything. Like, what's the point? It's the same people. We're not getting new faces. We're getting the same freaking people over and over again. And that is a problem. That is a problem because the sport has evolved so much over the last 10 years. It's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. So I don't think fight, like, you just have to make it worth your while. Like, You have to make it to the, like, I'm not saying it has to be a point where, like, elementary school kids, when they're doing their career days and, oh, when I grow up, I want to be an MMA judge. No, I'm not saying that, but you have to make it, like, somewhat sustainable and somewhat worth the time for intelligent human beings who have some idea and some semblance of what they're watching when these guys are fighting each other. We're not getting that here. We're getting boxing judges who don't know what the hell they're watching, and it's ridiculous. And we have all these different criteria and all this stuff, but no one's changing. No one's changing. No one wants to be a judge. Who wants to be a judge? You're probably, like, you're not making anything. Plus, the judges should be, they should have to answer for this shit. They should have to do a Zoom call with members of the media if there's a questionable scorecard. And kudos to Mike Mazzulli for saying, we're going to review this and there could be possible sanctions. That's great. But... That's not enough for me. Mike Mazzulli should force Douglas Crosby on the Zoom call with members of the media, Bellator staff, all of this, so we can ask what the hell he was watching. Because this is it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And I'm sick of talking about it. And I don't, and I know Ally Quinch just, just popped in here. Open scoring doesn't change any of this. Okay? It doesn't change any of it. I understand people want to see it. And there's certain examples you will be like, okay, this would be interesting if the fighter knew where he was at. But at the same token, we complain about judging so much. If you instituted open scoring, can you imagine the reaction watching that Patty Pimblett fight? If we had open scoring and we saw two of the judges score that first round for Patty Pimblet, can you imagine what Twitter would have been like? It would have been a nightmare. It would have been a nightmare. We're going to just complain more if we do open scoring. That's all. It's all there is. But we have to get competent judges who come in and judge these fights. And we also have to make it worth their while to want to actually do it. Because other than that, if we don't do this, Doug Crosby and Adelaide Bird and all these other people who we see time and time again are going to be the same faces and the same names we see on these broadcasts but there's just no nothing worthwhile that makes anybody want to be a judge. I certainly wouldn't want to do it. Like I said, I'd go through the class just to learn a little bit more about it, but you think I'm going to spend my Friday night judging a regional card for like five bucks. F that noise. No way. Absolutely not. Let's go to my boy. Toke. Toke. Hello. Uh,
6: just to uh, say that I will just uh, I will move on to this weekend uh, that's coming up because I want to get your perspective on the Gaethje scale, which fight is uh, on top of that. And what I mean by that is of course the most violent fight of the weekend. I want to hear your take on that. And I don't mean just the UFC because my take is that the main event of KSW with Putschianovsky, and Kalidov, I believe his name is, that is violence personified, and I'm so ready for it. And that is probably... Uh, okay, I'm more looking forward to Sarukyan and Ismagulov, but the most intriguing fight for me every time Putchinovsky is in the cage, oh my God, I'm going to watch. So I just want to get your take on what is the most violent fight of the weekend. So uh, have a good Thursday, Mike.
2: Thanks, man. I mean, that's probably the correct answer, but let's look at this UFC card and see what the most violent fights will be. Um, I mean, Drew Dober, Bobby Green screams to me. That's just going to be a... There's no way that fight doesn't stink. That's got to be the fight of the night. That's my pick. Uh, Dober hits like a truck. Bobby Green is tough as hell. Great boxer doesn't get enough credit. That's probably the correct answer, I have to say. I think, I think Jake Matthews, Matthew, Matthew Semmelsberg could be another one. But honestly, I just think because Jake Matthews, I think Matt's gonna have his moments. But I think Jake is just finding his stride right now. He's not a he's not a 19 year old kid anymore. This dude's a man. He's a grown friggin' man now, and he's finally starting to realize that. So. Probably one of those two fights. I mean, I think we're going to see a bunch of finishes on this card, but I mean, it's kind of a your pick with Pooge and Dober and Green seem like great choices. Alex Caceres, Julian Arrosa is going to be a, going to be a battle too because Jul, that's what Julian Arosa does, and Caceres gets himself in those types of fights. Uh, so those are probably like the all violence awards. I think dvorak Manel kopp could be a fun one, too, with the striking. Yeah, I think we're going to get a bunch of finishes. There's going to be some good fights with, like, some good grappling exchanges, like the Nermaga madoff fight. fight's going to be pretty wild. I don't know if it's going to be, like, a violent wild fight, but it's going to be a really highly competitive wild matchup. The mixing of the martial arts. Yeah, there's a lot to choose from. I don't think... I don't know. Maybe Surukian. Ismagulov is Ismogulov is much more violent. The main event could be violent. But I think it's going to come from more. The violence is going to come more from Jerry Cannonier. I mean, Strickland could pick Cannonir apart for five rounds. But I think Cannonier, where he's at right now in this division with some of these guys coming up, Cannonier can't be gun-shy in this fight. He, I think he's got to pull the trigger. And if he does, we could get a violent finish. So lots to choose from. But it's Pujanowski fights probably the overall weekend answer to
3: me. Let's go to Cringe Judo. Good heck of a morning to everybody. Um, I'm going to circle back around to that Doug Crosby thing. I just wanted to throw this out there. Do you think they're not really throwing a big fuss about it because he was consistent per se? Like he gave them control time for his scorecards? He, like, gave the last round to Jared Gordon, then he gave all the rounds to Sabatello. So, I mean, he's at least being a little consistent by giving control time to the fighter. But I don't know. just want to throw that out there. My next thing is, how close are we to this Usman-Masvidal-Leon Edwards fight? Thanks for letting me talk, man. Have a good one.
2: Thanks, man. Mm, Probably not with your first question. I mean, they're just horrible scorecards. They're both just bad scorecards. And I know that Crosby isn't the only one that gave Patty the first round, but that's just that's just bad scoring. It's just bad scoring. And this is coming from somebody who thought it was a robbery on Saturday, watching it live, re-watching it, coming on the show Tuesday and feeling like it wasn't a robbery, but then like watching the fight and looking at the scorecards at the same time and understanding that you can scream robbery here. Like you can scream robbery here. It's not to me if you just scored the fight 29 28 for Patty, it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. Like, if you gave Patty two and three, I like you, there's a case to be made for that. The R word comes into play because of that first round, because it's, a t- it's just horrible scoring. That first round should not have been scored for Patty. Sorry. No, there's no world where Patty won that round. I scored the third round for Patty on both on both times I watched it. Neither guy did much, but I think Patty was more effective with the striking. Not by a lot, but enough. And I thought Jared won the seconds. I thought he landed the, the cleaner shots, the more powerful shots. Patty had his moments too, especially like the last 15, 20 seconds of the round. But I still think Jared won. But if you score 29-28, I ain't mad at you. But the fact that the first round went to Patty on two cards, I get the robbery talk. I get it. It's just a horrible card. Both, It's just terrible. Just terrible. Really, really bad. Really, really bad. I forget your other question. I'm sorry. Maybe... Maybe someone could fill me in. Julio, I'm going to you, and then Crypto, you're on deck. Sorry.
4: How's it going? What's up? So, I wanted to talk more about the the technical aspect. Uh, It's clear that Patty's striking is his weakness. And you would say it's average, maybe below average. More so, Bryce Mitchell, like for example, do you think it's something that they're not working on, or like they, they don't see that they're clearly? Deficient in that area, and take it from me that I'm not in the gym with them, and I'm a nobody. But do you think it's something that that they don't they don't recognize, or just it's been working for them? So whatever you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it type of thing. Thanks, and I like
2: I, you can't. I, I don't think you can compare Patty to Bryce with the striking. I think Patty striking's much better than Bryce Mitchell's striking. It's not great. The problem with Paddy striking is he's horrible defensively. He just can't block anything. And that was like a big, like, if you watch, if you watch back the Chris Curtis, Joaquin Buckley fight, Joaquin Buckley looked pretty good in that fight, right? You're sitting there watching in real time. You're like, man, Joaquin is just lighting this guy up. But if you go back and watch it and watch all of those strikes, Chris Curtis blocks Like, 75% of them, with his arms or his shoulders or his wrists. Like, his guard is so good. He's so defensively sound in there that when that opening comes, he can just take it, and that's exactly what he did in the fight. Like, go back and watch that one, and you can see the difference between a patty striker who can be effective offensively but have absolutely no defense And Chris Curtis, who can strike offensively, effectively, he might actually be better defensively than he is offensively. And he's pretty goddamn good offensively. But that was the big difference in the fight. He just let Joaquin kind of punch himself out, and then he found the opening, landed the big shot, and finished him. Tiago Moises at 155 is great at that. Very solid, fundamentally sound offensive striker, but his defense is so good. And if you want a great example of that, Go watch Tiago Moises' fight with Alexander Hernandez because Hernandez still to this day feels like he won that fight. I don't think so because Moises is so good at evading and so good at blocking and so good at just getting just out of range so you don't actually make good contact with him. Defense is huge, man. Like It may not affect the scoring all in all, but that's the biggest issue with Patty. With the strikers, he just gets punched so much. And if he fights any of these other big hitters, it ain't going to go well. It's just not going to go well. Jared's a good striker, but he's not like a knockout artist. Eventually, if they keep riding Patty up this trajectory, he's going to face a big hitter who's just going to crack him. Things last forever. Chins don't. And eventually someone's going to find that shit. That's the biggest issue with Patty. Offensively, he's, he could be effective. I mean, we've seen him drop dudes. We've seen him hurt guys in the feet. But he just gets hit so often. And eventually, at this level, it's not going to last forever. He's got to work on defense. But Patty's just, he thrives off chaos. Like that's, Patty's effective with chaos. That's why he gets the submissions that he gets. It's mostly in scrambles great at taking the back. But as an all-in-all fighter, I think people, what people are starting to realize with Patty is that there's a ceiling to somebody like this. And I think we've reached it. I'm not saying he can't evolve any further, but I I just don't see him beating a top 15 guy. Like I I don't see it. Just too high level. And that's fine. Like you can make a great lit. Like if, if Patty fights either Drew Dober or Bobby Green, he's going to lose. And those guys aren't even top 15 guys. Who fights either of those guys? He's in he's in trouble. That's why I like the Terrence McKinney fight. I think I feel like Terrence could win. And Terrence probably should win. But Patty is so durable that. If he can get out of the first round and extend it, Patty has a chance to win that fight. So that's somewhat intriguing to me. Like, these are the types of matchups for Patty. Top 30 dudes. You keep that guy far away from the top 15. Do not do that. Don't, uh, do not put him in there with the top 15 guy. But that's the biggest discrepancy with Patty just he's, he's got no defense at all. None. And that's a problem in the UFC. Especially in this friggin' division. Holy cow. You're only going to get away with that for so long. Crypto, hello. Good. How are you? Good. So
7: first of all, Mike, don't ruin the fun, Mike. Let's just keep on pretending that Paddy is uh, God's gift to the MMA community. He's the best fighter in the world. He's the new Conor McGregor. He crushed Jared Gordon. So let's give him a top opponent. Let's finally see how he does. I mean, he's he's the best fighter ever. Let's not spoil the fun, Mike. Just as I said, Jalen Turner, Armand Sarukia. That's the fight to make. Don't give him it's... these fights. I mean, let's just. I mean, put your basically. It's. I'm just so tired of this, and all I keep hearing is his his great chin. He has such a great chin, and all I, in essence, what that means whenever you hear that is basically he has zero defense. But he thinks that he's the best in the world. Let's stop protecting him. Like, okay, you want to you really try your skills against a top opponent? Let's do it. Let's freaking do it. So, Mike, two, two questions. The first one is all this judging, uh, judging stuff that is going on. I just want your to take on, I don't know if you've seen, and, and listen, I'm not a big fan of the PFL, but one thing that I kind of like is this smart cage. Where they have these different types of metrics Uh, and there's like a company or something that uh, i think they have like between 15 and 20 people working every fight behind the stage basically it looks almost like i don't know it's like a high-tech room with bunch of screens bunch of data that has been gathered on punch speed and and different different metrics and i'm not saying it's perfect don't get me wrong i know that it's i mean still a system can be biased and There's other things to take into consideration. But I kind of like that. Like, basically, it's data-driven decision-making. I don't have much info about it, but I was just wondering what your take is on the PFL smart cage and if that could be at least one piece of the puzzle uh, with regards to judging. Um, And the second question is, Mike, Damir Ismagolov against Sarukan. I kind of have the same feelings here that I had when it comes to Sarookan against Gamrot that it's basically for Sarookan it's it's the type of fight that has very little upside. Let's say he beats Ismagulov, he will still be kind of in the same situation, right? I mean, it's still he's still fighting down. He's Basically, going to have to fight a very good fighter. No matter what we think about Ismagulov, and I agree with you. I don't think Ismagulov won his last fight. So, so I I completely agree with you. But still, he's a he's a good fighter. He's he's really. I mean, I don't think he has lost in like six seven years. Uh, he's an up and comer, so to say, within the UFC at least. So I I, I mean I like the fight, but once again, I'm very. Yeah, I don't know. It's like a guilty guilty pleasure, Mike. I it's kind of I want to see the fight, but at the same time I would would have loved to see uh, maybe Gamrot against Sarukan later on in their careers and I kind of feel the same with regards to Ismagulov and and Sarukan. So, yeah, those are my two questions, Mike. The PFL cage and and your take on that that it's maybe not the most optimal uh, matchup for Sarookan. Thank you, Mike.
2: No, I I completely agree with you. It's not the most optimal matchup for Saruqian, but it's the only guy that would say yes from all accounts. Um, And they both just happen to be managed by the same guy and the same team. So it's tough, man. It's tough in this division. I mean, there's just so many guys that are really good that are going to have a tough time getting matchups. Saruqian probably at the top of that list. Grant Dawson, Jalen Turner... These guys are going to have a really tough time getting fights because this is no up. This is not a ton of upside beating them. Like the hardcore fans, people in this room understand how good these guys are, but there's no cachet really, and that's just what this division looks like right now. It's the same guys, and I'm hoping that eventually this changes. And I thought we were kind of going in that direction with the Gamrot. Versus Benil Dariushvite, But then Benil went out there and won. And now we're still kind of log jammed up the top. With what, what's going on up there right now. So I don't know man. I, I don't know how these guys are going to move up. Eventually they're just going to have to. And this is kind of going to have to be the the path for Sarukyan. He's going to have to take on the guys that. Are right around the same as him. All these up and comers. He's just going to have to eliminate all of them. And vice versa. Like I don't think. I, I think if Sarukyan wins, he's probably gonna have to fight like a Jalen Turner or somebody like that, or or Grant Dawson. Like these are the dudes that he's probably gonna have to fight. So it's gonna be a long road. It's gonna be a Makachev esque road to the top for a guy like Sarukyan, and it's not really fair. I get it, but that's kind of where we're at right now. And I was kind of hoping that with the Patty thing, if Patty was gonna win the best case scenario for at least moving this division along or at least giving somebody a little bit of an extra boost is that Patty went out there and just ran over Jared and subbed him out. Like a lot of people felt like if Patty were to win, that's how we would have to do it or that's how we would do it. But that's not what happened here. So now we can't throw Patty into a fight like that to boost somebody else's stock because Patty's stock dropped with that fight. So yes, yeah, division's, it's tough. It's just tough to get any, any movement going. And I kind of feel for Armand. I know the Gamera fight was super close, but I still feel like Sarukian won that fight. And who knows what a Sarukian versus Dariush fight would have, would have looked like. So, but again, I'm not going to go crazy about it because it was super close and super fun. It's my favorite fight of the year. It's probably not going to, it won't win fight of the year. But I can assure you, uh, we're going to be doing our voting. Sarukian Gamrot will be in my top three, maybe even number two. But probably number three would be my guess. And then the PFL Smart Cage thing. I don't know, man. I mean, are the judges going to look at that? I don't know. And then there's no damage bar. Like, if there's like Jed's always been a advocate of a damage bar, but you can't even like, if damage is the number one piece of the criteria, you can have the smartest cage in the world and you can't determine damage. Like, it's, it's hard to even define it at times. Like, what is damage when a fight, when a round is so equal? Like, I understand the difference. Just look at the last two fights Rob Font had. Look at Rob Font-Jose Aldo. Look at Rob Font-Marlon Vera. The amount of strikes that Rob was landing against both of those guys, but then just getting absolutely clipped... Especially in the Cheeto fight. That's the one. That's the one. Like, fought, like tripled him up on strikes. But man, when Cheeto was landing on him, he was landing big. Just such a big difference. So I don't think the smart cage thing will, will really help. What, what needs to happen is you need to take, like the judges can be cage side. Like I don't give a shit. But they need somehow to be out of the environment whether you just put them in a box with a TV monitor or you put headphones on them, like noise-blocking headphones, to just watch the fight for what it is. It's tough. I'm not saying judging is easy. It's not. But when you're having 50-45 scorecards and you're watching Jared Gorn and just light up Patty Pimblet on the feet with that left hand, and you still don't give him the round, we got to fix it.
0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
2: Let's go to Chris, then we'll go to Bug, and then we'll go to Atharva, and then we'll go to Anthony. Chris, hello. Oh, all right, Matt. A
7: uh, couple of questions. Uh, what do you think's next for Kobe Coven? And also, how do you think uh, George Hardwick could fare against the lightweights in the UFC?
2: Hmm. That's a good question. Hmm, I got to think about the Hardwick one. Let me pull, That's, that's a great question. I think he'd do okay. I don't know if he's a top 15 guy, but again, that's okay. I'd like to see him get a shot though. Like I, he's after that win in November, I don't think he needs to go on the contender series or anything like that. I think this guy's established enough. I I would love to see him just get a shot. I would like to see him get a shot in March on this pay-per-view. I don't know. Like, I don't know who you would throw him up, who you would throw him in there with right now, but I don't know. Maybe he is a top 15 guy. I don't know if he's, fighting for a belt or anything but dude's real solid he could be in the mix with a lot of these guys so yeah i like that one he's on a he's on a great run right now he's a finisher he's an exciting guy to watch he could finish you everywhere i love the body work too this guy's very solid so no contender series for this guy he should just get a shot especially when they go back in march uh put him on that pay-per-view card i'd watch the hell out of that colby i have no idea man Oh, and that reminded me of the other question. Um, the fight to make is Colby versus Hamzad. Like I'd love—that's the one you have to do. That's the one you have to make. Someone asked earlier about Mazadal versus Edwards. Based on, there's a clip. Uh, Wonderboy did an interview. I forget the guy's name that he did the interview with, uh, and Wonderboy put out that he heard that Usman's having surgery on his hand and that. He's hearing Mazadal might, might hop in and, and fight for the belt. Um, I know Henry Hooft has posted videos of Usman training and wrestling and seeming like his hand's fine. I know our own Damon Martin had reached out to some folks um, with knowledge of the situation. And verbatim, what was written was, that's absolute bullshit. So, not buying it. Until this is one of those situations where until I, I don't think it's happening. I think we'll see you. I think we're going to see edwards Usman three. Uh, I have not seen anything or have neither of us have been told anything uh, otherwise. But I will tell you this, if something does happen and Usman isn't, isn't that isn't in that fight, we better be ready for a world where, Jorge Mazadal's getting the title fight. It's just going to happen, my friends. It's the world we live in. But I wouldn't worry about that right now, from all indications. Bug, hello. Bug, are you there? You just got to unmute yourself. Going once, twice. All right, try again. Uh, let's go to Atharva. He's been waiting for a minute. Atharva, are you there?
8: You are muted as well. There we go. Hey, man. Great, great fan. I'm from India, and I've been listening to all your podcasts, and this is the first time I'm joining live here, and it's been really, really great listening to you, Mike. So my, Welcome. Yeah, so my question to you is, So basically, there are four people in this picture right now, the light heavyweight picture. And among which, after this draw, UFC have come to the conclusion that, you know, let us put someone for Glover Teixeira to fight in Brazil. And it's Jamahil. So I want to ask you that, is it the right choice to make who is fighting uh, Glover Teixeira here? I know glover deserves every shot right now he's the man who has lost the most out of this picture but is hill the right man uh leaving aside the remaining three or four people who are included in this title picture who else you could have you know put into uh this fight versus glover would have would, would it be Rakic? or you think it's a right decision among the people who are left here
2: Good question. Uh, yeah, I do think it's the right decision. Jamal Hill's on a tear. I even suggested on the watch party, like, as soon as the main event ended in a draw, just do Glover versus just pull Jamal Hill from the Anthony Smith fight and just do that one. I'm fine with it. Like, I, I, there's just... It's just tough because it's somewhat short notice. Jan and Ankalaev aren't getting back that quickly, especially Ankoliyev. I just feel like if you're going to get Glover on that card, Jamal's probably the way to go. Jamal's probably the way to go. And I think it's it's an intriguing fight. It's one that I I favor Glover in, uh, but Jamal is a friggin' monster. He hits so hard. But Glover's just a beast on the ground, man. It's going to be a really interesting fight. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's just weird because... You could have just done this in the first place, number one. And number two, just think of the world we'd be living in right now if the UFC just did Glover versus Jan to begin with. We wouldn't be having this conversation right now. You went to Glover, said, hey, fight ankle live. Said, no, I'll fight Jan. You just said, okay. What are we doing here? Like, what are we doing here? And as I told you on this show, and I, I think – Jamal revealed this on the MAR, but I told you this when the fight was announced. Jamal Hill was being discussed to fight this past Saturday. I was told because we had confirmed the Anthony Smith fight, the matter was the date. Originally, it was supposed to be March 25th. That was the first date that was thrown out. Then we were told by one source that, well, actually, it's going to happen March 11th. And then we were told by another source that, Well, something else might be happening for UFC 282 that could feature Jamal Hill. Co-main event against somebody. We just don't know who yet. And I was like, okay, is Hank out of the fight? Is Jan Bojovic out of the fight? Like, no one was talking, but I know Jamal was in discussions to fight at 282 in the co-main event against one of these guys. Uh, Turns out, it was not what any of us expected because it was Yuri Prahashko who was hurt and now we were trying to figure out the main event and then Jamal would possibly fight the, the odd man out. So you could have done Jamal versus Ank but I don't know if Jamal takes that fight on such short notice because it's just not all that appealing from a stylistic perspective. But if Glover had said yes to fighting Ank then... We, we would have got Jamal Hill versus Jan Bohovich. Like, there's a very good chance that would have happened. But, or you could have just said, you know what? Let's just make Patty the freaking main event and we'll just do Glover and, and Goliath in Brazil. Like, I don't know. What's beautiful about all of this is that Glover ultimately won more than anybody at UFC 282 and he didn't even have to fight. Isn't that the best? Don't you just love when that happens? And that's what happened. Uh, he's getting he's getting a pretty favorable matchup here if we're being honest. So it's just strange it's just a strange time because even if Glover wins and I think he will win I don't think he's the best like he might be the third best 205er in the world. Like I want to see him and Yuri fight and I'm kind of rooting for Glover in a way, not as like a fan or anything, but just because that gives us the best path to the Yuri rematch. Because I actually felt that once they rebooked this fight and Yuri was vaca- vacated the belt and Glover was kind of out of the title picture for a while, that this rematch was just never going to happen. I was preparing myself to live in a world where we didn't get that rematch. But now, there's a chance. The problem is, I think, and although the road is going to be a long one for Magomed and Goliath, he will eventually get back there. And when he does, I think he will win the belt. And I think he's going to have a pretty significant reign as the champion. It's just not going to be the most thrilling run as a light heavyweight champion that we've ever seen. But I do feel I feel like Angola a problem for almost everybody in this division. Even Yuri. Even Glover. But, yeah, that fight was not... At least Dana didn't think the fight was great. I thought that the fight was pretty damn good. Like, the first three rounds were really compelling, especially with Jan landing those leg kicks and having Magomed pretty banged up. And then Angolaev was just like, oh, yeah, I could just tackle this dude and win. And he showed a, a just an extremely glaring hole in Jan Bohovich's game. So, we'll see what happens at 205. It's... uh. Glover won. The division as a whole probably didn't, but Saturday was a pretty damn good night for Glover Teixeira.
9: Let's go to Anthony. What's Yo, up, heck of a morning. You too. Uh, <laughs> this, this, this sounds crazy, all right? So let's try to stick with me. But um, two matchups to make after last weekend, Till versus Jake Paul. And these matchups aren't going to make sense. I'm thinking out of the box. Till versus Jake Paul, and Patty the Batty versus Justin Gaethje. And I didn't think about this for a little for a little bit, but Buddy, who called in earlier, was on to something. I feel like you just got to give him the top five opponent, and then hopefully he, has, he either has his McGregor moment or he doesn't. I mean, I'm not going to debate if he does or not, and I know everybody's going to have a strong opinion on that. We're not here to debate that. But I think that's the direction they would go, because, I mean, why would they give <clears> – <throat> Why would they give the rub to like, you know, they can't really, they can't give the rub to Grant Dawson. They can't give the rub to, I mean, maybe Jalen Turner, but I mean, it's, it's tough. To, Cause I mean, we're all looking at the Patty matchup, like, Oh, who who do we want to match up when he's going to win? I mean, we just got to say, fuck it at this point. And then, um, with the Paul until fight. Yeah, I know. Uh, Till, he, he kind of just needs a mental coach. I, I guess that's what everybody's saying, and this, it seems right. And I don't know if he was a tie boxer. I, I mean, I feel like the UFC might release him to go fight on some lower promotions, get some wins. I don't know. That makes more sense than just fucking fighting some up-and-coming, hungry-ass motherfucker. Uh, that's all. Thank you.
2: Yeah, they won't do that. Um, and they're not going to release Till. Because it's not like, look, he lost law- that first round was rough. The third round was rough, but the second round, not so rough. So looked pretty good in the second round. He overcame a beating in the first. This, like, you can see he has something, but he just when the when the lights are on and it's fight night, man, it's just not all there. So I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna do with him. I honestly have no idea. Uh, it won't be Jake Paul. I can tell you that. Uh, Darren still has value. People still care about what he does. He's got a long road ahead of him. But to me, I I think he just needs to take this time off, be with his family. I don't know if he actually tore his ACL or not. Uh, He was saying that after the fight. I would like to see him go back to 170. Just get on that nutrition plan for a while and try to get down to 170. Because he ain't... He's a... He's not like he's a big 170er, but he's a super small 185er. He's just not like Duplassi just looks like 20 pounds bigger than him out there, and he's just getting chucked around. But I think Till's I, I think the best path for Till is to fight at 170. There's winnable fights for him there, but it's just a matter of him just kind of getting out of his own way and Patty versus Gaethje... First of all, we know how that fight's going to go. It's going to go horrendously <laughs> for for Patty Pimblett. And two, Gaethje doesn't need the rub. Gaethje's got the rub. You're just you're just basically sacrificing Patty Pimblett. If you're going to do that, there's there's definitely diff- there's definitely other matchups you could you could do. You want to do Moicano? He's an established name. He's starting to get over a little bit. Uh, you could do Turner, sure. Uh, you could do Tony Ferguson. You could do Tony Ferguson. I'm. You could do Michael Chandler. Like, Michael Chandler would actually make more sense. Gaethje's, like, I don't know. It's tough. Pat, booking Patty is very, very difficult. But you could also... You have guys on the come-up. Like, Terrence McKinney is a very popular dude. So, if he wins... At UFC 283, I like that idea. Because Terrence has a great story. He's becoming a star. It has nothing to do with the UFC. Terrence has done this all by himself. Terrence has gotten his story over. Terrence has done all this on his own. His social media presence. This is all him. This is not the UFC pushing him. This is Terrence pushing himself. Give him that fight. Give him that fight. And then if he wins, we we can go from there. But... Yeah, it won't be Gaethje because, again, all we're doing is at that point, we're just stifling these guys who deserve these opportunities. Like, what else does Rafael Fazib have to do to get a fight with a Justin Gaethje or a Chandler? Like, this guy has earned it. Patty hasn't. Throw, you know what? Throw Patty in with RDA. How about that? Throw him in there with RDA. Let's see. That I'm okay with. That makes sense. RDA, RDA is a tough out. It's not the Connor fight that RDA wants, but it's kind of similar in some ways with the name value and the, the attention it'll get. Let's throw him in there with RDA and see how he does. But it's tough to book him. But Gagey would kill him. Gagey would kill him. Michael, hello. Michael, you just got on mute. Oh, we lost you. All right, let's go to Full Metal Pete. And I think we got. I think we're going to be done after this. Pete, are you there? You're muted, Pete. Hello. Pete,
9: what's up, man? I got you. What's up, guys? Yeah, I um, I was thinking of, like, the 155 pitcher, like, as a whole, and I think that they need to, like, do something other than keep booking. It just seems like they got the rest of the star power out of Gechi and these guys. They're still relevant, but, like, they need to start fighting these, these guys that are... You know, like you said, Fizevs, that would be a great fight for both of them. And I'm wondering when they're going to start putting these other guys in the mix, like with the top five, because the 155 pitcher just has been this wheelhouse of the same couple of fighters, which has been great. But I think it's like time to move on. So, like, realistically, what do you think happens in 2023 like title pitcher wise with the new talent that are starting to make names for themselves. And that's all I really got.
2: Thanks, man. So hopefully we get Fazeev Gechi. Like hopefully we get to see a fight like that because Fazeev deserves it. Gechi seems interested in it. Um, I know Gechi has talked about, I know when I spoke with Gechi, his ideal scenario was to fight on the London card. Him versus Fazeev would be a, Pretty damn good main card fight for that London car, would it not? Love that idea. And then it kind of just depends on where Chandler goes. And, you know, will Chandler get the Connor fight? Will he fight before that? What's Poirier going to do? Are they going to do Poirier versus Dariush? Because, I mean, just when you think Poirier is kind of out of the conversation, he goes and has a performance like he had in November. And you're just like, man, this guy's really, really good. Like, he's just really, really good. So, yeah, it's just such a strange division, but it's going to be a while before we start to see the rise of some of these guys. It's it's tough. I just think they're going to have to all fight each other. Like, we don't know what's going on with Gregor Gillespie. Uh, that's an interesting name in the mix that we haven't seen in a while. What's Gamrock going to do next? Like, I just feel like the best way for these guys to get there is you're just going to have to eliminate each other. And it shouldn't be that way, but it's kind of where we're at right now. So hopefully we get Gaethje Fazeev. If we get that, then I think maybe it could be the start of a bunch of dominoes falling. And I kind of hope that happens, but it's the best division in the sport. Steve. Hello. Steve, you there. You are muted. All right. Let's move on. We'll go to JStat and then AA we'll we'll close this out. JStat, hello.
6: Yep. Okay, so what is the update on Francis versus Jones? Um I'm really looking forward to that fight. I'm I feel somewhat hopeful, but I'm not sure. So yeah, that would be all.
2: Thanks, man. So um, I feel like those who listen every week, we've been kind of uh, following along with the tale here. Uh, Not much of an update from the last time we talked about this. Um, Negotiations going well from all accounts. Uh, It seems like we're trending in the right direction. But nothing's done. There's no like official offer on the table because, again, we have contract stuff. We have injury stuff um, and all of that. But from everybody I've spoken to, seems like everything's trending in the right direction. I'm not going to be like, hey, it's 100% done or anything like that. But I'm – how do I want to phrase this? Nothing's done or even like in the works or anything like that. Like that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants March 4th to do this fight. All sides seem to be in. We still have to take care of all this other stuff. We don't know what Francis is going to... We don't know what the condition is. We don't know if he's going to be physically ready for March, but that's kind of what everyone's eyeballing here. I'm going to say 1 to 10, my confidence level in that fight happening, March 4th, and again, nothing is done. 7? Maybe a little more than 7? And it could be higher, but we're dealing with a lot here. There's a lot of intangibles. Like we mentioned, the injury, the contract, and then just John Jones in general, who is the ultimate wild card. But I feel, I feel like we're going to get that fight. I feel good about it. Am I going all in on it? Absolutely not. But I feel good about it. I know I'm not alone. I know Ariel's talked about it as well uh, a little after we've been talking about it for a few weeks. But like I said, all accounts, talks are going well. Everyone seems to be somewhat on the same page. But still, we we still have hurdles to leap over. So hopefully by 283, that fight gets announced. Because at that point, we're going to be like six weeks away happening cuz January 21st right to March 4th and it's going to be it's going to be a hot and heavy start to 2023 some big ass fights going on
9: Let's go to Double A. Hello Double A. Good. Okay, I've got two for you. Um the first one is what what's your thoughts on Bobby Green's um comments at his media day press conferences um he made up comments about the drugs thing and Islam possibly being on drugs when he was like 10 or something, I believe he said. And my second one is being it's the last um, <clears throat> card of the year coming up. Just um, some highlights from you would be cool. Be cool um, For me, uh, probably number one will definitely be when looking back on this year when Leon won the belt because that was absolutely nuts. That's all I've got. Have a great day, Mike. Everyone else, have a great day too. You're all awesome. Catch you on the flip side and peace.
2: Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, Leon has to probably be at the top of the list. Um, just one of those moments where it just makes you realize why we love this crazy sport, even with all the chaos and the ups and the downs. A moment like that, that's why we love the sport. Uh, I would say Hamzat Gilbert Burns was one that I will remember for sure. Uh, not even being in the arena, like watching that fight happen, just being in the back as that fight was happening, I felt like there's a freaking earthquake in the media room as that fight was happening. And we were watching it all going bananas in the media room. Uh, that fight in particular stands out to me for sure. Uh, Yuri Prahashka submitting Glover Teixeira after maybe the most chaotic fight we've ever seen. Um. Those, I mean, those are definitely... on Gamrot as a fight is up there. Those are some moments. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot. Fran, Francis Gano, Jesus. Francis beating Cyril Ngannou on one leg and everything that came after that. Francis taking a stand. Great highlight for me. Uh, Volkanovski's year. The two title defenses, two of the all-time best UFC title defenses in the history of the company, in my opinion. Two perfect games. I mean, there's a lot to like. A lot to like this year. Definitely. I forget your other question. Jesus. So much going on. Uh, football 512. Let's see if we can get you in here, and then I have to go after this. It's spinning. Do we have them? Nope. Couldn't get them. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? We'll take one more. Barbarusa, what you got, man?
4: Good. How are you? I'm good. I um, I just want to ask about um, the Yeri. Uh...
3: Whoop. I
2: heard Yeri, and that was it. Oh, I I figured out Double A's other question. Um, Bobby Green at the media day, I mean, just kind of Bobby being Bobby. I like the opening thing, talking about the the suspension and his name kind of being dragged through the mud. Very passionate dude. Islam stuff is, I mean, just allegations up the wazoo, but it's Bobby being Bobby. 20, this is a very interesting fight for Bobby. And I think twenty if he wins, 2023 is going to be a really interesting one as well. Because Jed and I have been talking about this for a while if there's going to be another sort of Mazdal-esque type of move anywhere in MMA and in the UFC where like a wily vet who people have sort of been backing and following along with for a while just all of a sudden just catches lightning in a bottle and just gets something cooking and it's real big – I feel like Bobby Green could be that guy. I feel like Bobby can be the guy. He's in a tough, tough division. But I feel like if he goes out there and has a moment here, comes back in 2023 and just gets a couple of finishes. Like, I feel like he could be that dude. And I feel like he's been knocking on that door and just, he's run into, I mean, of course, he ran into Islam Makachev and that's never fun. But I feel like... I feel like he's right there for something big to happen, like a late career resurgence uh, that people are just going to be into. Could be him. We'll see what happens with Drew Dober, but he's a personality, man. Guy is a personality to say the very least, but we are done. Thank you very much. Uh, and No show tomorrow, like I said. That's when the vacation starts. Plan is week from today, we'll knock out a show Uh Basically, it'll be sandwiched in between two trips. So, yeah. So, off to Boston tomorrow, back Wednesday night. Maybe we'll hop in and do one of these on Thursday, and then off to my parents in Florida on Friday for the next five or six days, and then back at it. But we have so much content coming your way. Don't worry about it. BTL 1 p.m. Eastern coming up later on today on the YouTube channel. So, check that out. Just me and Jed shooting the breeze. Uh, All your... Typical fight week stuff going down, preview show, post-fight show, people's pre-fight show, on to the next one. All that stuff happening, even without me, so don't you worry about that. Uh, Awards coming up in a couple of weeks. We'll have you prepared for that with the show and write-ups and all that fun stuff. Uh, And the awards should be fun this year. Some of them are obvious, but narrowing down to five for all these categories is going to be kind of tricky. Because there's a lot of good options for Fighter of the Year and KO and Rookie and Submission and Fight. A lot of good stuff to go through. So you guys are the best. Thank you very much. Back next Thursday. Enjoy the fights this weekend, everybody. Have a heck of a morning, a heck of a week, heck of a weekend. We'll see you later.